Now all across North Carolina, it's Carolina Newsmakers. Here's your host, Don Curtis. Well, welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. We have invited back frequent guests on our program. That's Tom Jensen. Tom is the Director of Public Policy Polling, which is an interactive voice response form of surveying and has built quite a reputation across not only North Carolina, but across the country as a reputable uh, polling company. And polling, of course, as we've talked with Tom about, is getting more and more difficult, but they're still doing it. And so we're interested in finding out exactly what's going on. And so, Tom, welcome back to the program. Thank you, Mr. Curtis. It's good to be with you. Okay, well, let's uh, dig right into the top of the ticket. And, of course, everybody is beginning to talk about the presidential election and the primaries that are upcoming at, after the first of the year. Uh, and, uh, of course, uh, Biden versus Trump is what appears to be uh, happening right now. But then again, from what I can tell from your polling and from other people's polling, that nobody is really very happy with that slate of opportunities. Yeah, it's uh, definitely a situation where pretty much any poll that we do, especially in any kind of swing state or anything like that, uh, we find that both Joe Biden and Donald Trump are relatively unpopular with the overall electorate. You'll usually see uh, Biden with about a minus 10 favorability rating. You usually see Trump with about a minus 15, minus 20 favorability rating. But even though they're both pretty unpopular with the public at large, they are both still very popular within their own parties. Uh, Joe Biden certainly has always been the overwhelming favorite for the Democrats. And since we last talked in May, Donald Trump has just gotten stronger and stronger on the Republican side, and he was already uh, pretty strong to begin with. So it, it looks like we are uh, pretty definitely headed for a rematch of a choice that voters weren't that happy with the last time around. Do you see anything coming up that might change that? Not really. Uh, you know, I think on the surface, you would uh, look at all the headlines related to Donald Trump over the course of the summer and think that he had a pretty bad summer, what with all the indictments and such. And uh, instead, the movement that we've seen in the Republican primary race over the last three or four months is that uh, Trump's lead is actually 16 points bigger uh, than it was at the start of the summer when it comes to the Republican race. His average standing in the polls has gone up about eight points. Ron DeSantis's has gone down about eight points. And everyone else has just kind of stayed in place. Uh, we've seen some Republicans get some momentum over the course of the summer in terms of becoming better known and better liked. Uh, we've seen some improvement, for instance, in uh, Vivek Ramaswamy's favorability ratings. We've seen some in Nikki Haley's favorability ratings, but that's not translating to people actually becoming more likely to say that they're going to vote for them uh, for the Republican nomination. And then on the Biden side, certainly uh, no real opposition has ever crept up to him within the Democratic electorate. And uh, to the extent that there was any, it sounds like Robert F. Kennedy Jr. now might run as an independent for president instead of continuing to run in the Democratic primary. Uh, so that's just going to make Biden's already formidable position even more formidable than it already was. Let me ask you this about uh, Biden. Of course, age seems to be one of the concerns that people have about Biden. And uh, that, uh, I mean, clearly is a, is a factor. Uh, but also the, the vice president has never really clicked uh, and uh, 
apparently the Biden administration really never has really helped her to establish any credibility by giving her anything that's really uh, important to do, or it wouldn't seem to be. Um, do you think Biden will stick with her as the vice presidential candidate? Uh, and if he doesn't, uh, how important will she be as a factor on his slate? I do think that he'll stick with her. Uh, and I think ultimately vice presidential candidates rarely make a very big difference in presidential races. Uh, I really can't think of any uh, presidential contest off the top of my head where I think that the vice presidential choice ended up having much of an impact on what happened. I think that off the top of your head, if you were trying to think of something like that, you'd say, oh, it was a big mistake for John McCain to pick Sarah Palin in 2008. And it was a big mistake for John McCain to pick Sarah Palin in 2008. But Obama was winning that election by a pretty healthy margin, even before the Palin choice. And I don't know that uh, her being on the ticket made that much of a difference in terms of what uh, ultimately happened. So I'm sure we'll have lots of intrigue about who Trump's going to pick as his running mate. And probably, as you note, a little bit of intrigue about whether Kamala Harris is going to stay on the ticket or not, given that she isn't especially popular. Uh, but I think at the end of the day, these vice presidential choices aren't going to count for much. Well, see, let me ask you this. If age is a real factor in Biden, won't most Biden supporters assume the very strong possibility that the vice president may be the president? Um, I really just don't think that's something that the average voter is going to think about very much. And of course, uh, you know, we talk so much about Biden's age, but Trump's about the, the same age, too, and, and certainly has... Uh, not necessarily made the best choices for his health in terms of diet and exercise and those sorts of things. So I think that whole issue of fitness on sort of the physical front is going to end up pretty much being a wash if it ends up being Biden and Trump. The reason we hear about it so much more with Biden than we do with Trump is because there's not a bunch of indictments to talk about in connection with Biden. It's sort of like, uh, you know, in some sense, I'd say, uh, and I know some people disagree, but I think in some sense the, the Biden presidency has been kind of boring in terms of scandals. And that's why you have to come up with him being old and come up with stuff about his son and uh, that sort of thing, uh, just to sort of have anything to talk about with Biden. Uh, whereas Trump, the, the menu is so large that the media doesn't find time to talk about his age so much and that kind of thing, because there's so much other stuff to talk about. Interesting. Okay, now the, the news this week, of course, the uh, voting out of House Speaker Kevin McCarthy. Uh, big news, never has happened before. Uh, what kind of impact do you see this happening uh, on the credibility of government in general, of Congress in general, and maybe even in terms of how the presidential election would shake up? Yeah, it's actually a really interesting question, sort of tying that to the presidential election, because we did polls uh, both two and a half weeks ago and then this week after everything that went down uh, in Washington, D.C. We did polls in a, a congressional district, competitive congressional district in upstate New York and a competitive congressional district in suburban Los Angeles, uh, sort of to get a before and after look at uh, how all this sort of stuff that unfolded over the last few weeks impacted things. Joe Biden's approval rating was up by five points 
in both of those districts this week compared to where it was before everything about the shutdown and the leadership change uh, with congressional Republicans. I actually think the chaos with House Republicans this week may have sort of made Biden look like the grown up in the room comparatively uh, and seen a little bit of a boost in his standing from people who sort of consider his leadership to at least be stable compared to what we're seeing from the Republicans in Washington. And to be clear, I think that that's a pretty ephemeral sort of bump. That's not going to be impacting anything 13 months from now when we actually vote. Uh, But it was really interesting to see that that trend happened across both districts where Biden seemed to be uh, in better shape after all that. And then the corollary to that is that in both of those districts, their Republican House members had their approval ratings decline compared to a few weeks ago, just really from being associated with the chaos. To be clear, the brand of House Republicans was already pretty bad. Uh, We did polls last week in probably the most important three swing states for the election next year, uh, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. And in all three of those states, we found that Kevin McCarthy had around a 20% approval rating for his job as speaker. And we found that House Republicans have about a 20% favorability rating for themselves as a group. And I think the important implication that has for the 2024 election is we hear so much about how unpopular Biden is. And it's true. He's definitely unpopular. Don't don't dispute that whatsoever. But the election's not a straight up referendum on Biden. It's a choice between Biden's leadership and Republican leadership. And when you see House Republicans and Kevin McCarthy, even in districts where Biden's unpopular, when you see them having approval ratings that are half of what Biden's is, that helps him to possibly get reelected that even if people don't have such a, a, a high idea of the of the job he's doing, they at least might think it's better than the alternative. It would seem to me that this, uh, this disturbance, I guess, will linger and will have an effect 13 months from now as people will remember the, uh, uh, the chaos that's been created this week and the uh, low approval rating of uh, House Republicans may not recover in time for the election. I'm saying that as a statement, but I mean that as a question. <laughs> well, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, in 2013, basically at this exact same time, there was a government shutdown, uh, and voters certainly very much held it against the Republicans and Republicans in Congress since they were in charge at the time. Uh, And people are saying, oh, this is going to be a different kind of midterm election because people are going to be so mad about the shutdown. Uh, And then Republicans ended up having a great midterm election 13 months later because the everything about the shutdown really did just kind of fade from voters minds and they sort of got focused on other things. So I think what you point to is that it's kind of a challenge for House Democrats and the Democratic uh, messaging infrastructure in general to see if they can sort of keep this on voters minds. Uh, If it is something that voters are still thinking about a year from now, and certainly I think there's going to be plenty of other episodes of of drama for House Republicans, probably uh, for Democrats to try to exploit over the next 13 months. If if, if Democrats can help keep uh, voter mindsets about House Republicans where they are right now, it definitely does have the potential to make an impact and possibly flip the House next year in addition to whatever impact it might have on the presidency. Uh, but it is just a question of whether that can stay in voters' minds or not. So basically, what you're saying, uh, the, the uh, 
Democrats have control of the Senate. You don't see that changing in the next election. I'm, again, saying that as a statement, but I mean that as a question. Uh, no, I, I actually think that Republicans have a very good chance of uh, taking the Senate in this next election, uh, not really because of the general political conditions, but just because of the specifics of the uh, Senate seats that are up in 2024. Uh, basically, 2018 was a great year for Democrats. Uh, and because of that, Democrats in 2018 pretty much won everything they could win. That now puts them in a position in 2024 where they're most exclusively playing defense. And some of the places where they're playing defense are really difficult territory uh, for Democrats to hold on to Senate seats. You have Joe Manchin up in West Virginia that voted for Trump by 38 points. You have uh, John Tester up for re-election in Montana that voted for Trump by 16 points. You have Sherrod Brown up for re-election in Ohio that voted for Trump by eight points. And of course, Republicans only need to win a couple of those to flip the Senate. So it's a good map for, for Senate Republicans in 2024. Well, I don't have time in this segment to ask you about uh, the House, but we'll do that in the next segment. Our conversation is with Tom Jensen, Director of Public Policy Polling. And uh, as I said, we will lead off with that question, and then we'll turn to some other questions for Tom on the state level. And we'll do that right after we take time out for these messages. The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Tom and Levi. Tom is the smartest man I know. He's been a professor at two major universities. He's been a teacher for over 40 years. One day, he told me that he was having um, problems in his classes. I think one of the students had asked the question, and he didn't remember the answer. And I also noticed that he was letting his class out earlier than they were supposed to let out. And he was telling them that he was doing it as a favor to them. But I think, in reality, he just wanted to get out of there. Um, I was really starting to worry, because I saw something was wrong. Levi and I talked about how it would change our lives, but he was there beside me, and my love for him was just immense. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash ourstories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. Hey, hon, what you doing with your phone? Taking pictures? No, I'm asking questions. Like what? Hey, Bobo, do flowers have best friends? I'm sorry. I'm afraid I don't know that. Hey, follow me. I want to show you something. Look, flowers do have best friends. Whoa. Some answers can only be found in nature. Discover the unsearchable. Visit discovertheforest.org to find a trail near you. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council. We continue with Carolina Newsmakers. Here's Don Curtis. Our guest this week on Carolina Newsmakers is Tom Jensen. Public policy polling has been uh, his uh, bailiwick now for some time. And, uh, of course, has quite a reputation that he's gained not only in North Carolina, but across the country for his work in uh, uh, an uh, analyzing uh, the prospects not only of politics, but some other issues as well. So, uh, Tom, let me uh, go back to the last segment we ask your opinion about uh, how the Senate uh, might turn out next year. And you basically said, for those who are joining us a little late, that the Democrat, the Republicans have a chance of, of uh, flipping that. What about the House? It's presently Republican. Does it have a chance to be flipped to the Democrats? Will we still have a split uh, uh, chamber over there? 
Well, one thing that's going to have a huge impact on the possibility of Democrats taking back control of the House or not is what happens with the new congressional maps in North Carolina. Uh, right now, we really have congressional maps that are pretty fair. Uh, and because of that, we have a 7-7 seven to seven House delegation, which has been pretty unusual uh, in the context of North Carolina politics over the last uh, decade and change. Uh, Republicans, uh, now that they have control of the state Supreme Court, are going to be drawing new uh, congressional maps for North Carolina. And it's really just a question of uh, just how ambitious they'll get in terms of how good they make those maps for Republicans. I think that it's probably going to come down to a choice between whether Republicans give themselves a 10 to 4 advantage in the state congressional delegation or an 11 to 3 advantage in the state congressional delegation. So that in and of itself is going to really uh, have a big impact on the national picture because right now control of the House is very closely divided. But just from North Carolina, Republicans are going to almost double uh, their majority in the U.S. House just from this redistricting. It doesn't mean that it's impossible for Democrats to get control of the House. Uh, just as the maps are going to be getting more Republican in North Carolina, uh, we found out this week that a second congressional district that's likely going to vote for Democrats uh, is having to be created in Alabama. And there's also a good chance that we're going to see new congressional maps in Wisconsin uh, that allow Democrats to pick up a few seats there relative to what the maps look like right now. So this is something that's really become more of a trend in recent disc, uh, decades is all this mid-district, uh, excuse me, mid-decade redistricting where we see uh, changes in the balance of power in Washington that really just have to do with maps uh, and how those evolve. Uh, but the key for Democrats, uh, I think there is something like 17 uh, House districts that Joe Biden won in 2020 uh, that currently have Republican members of the House. Those are especially concentrated in New York State. Uh, and if Democrats can win enough of those districts next year, uh, they will have a chance to get back control of the House, even with this step backwards from what happens with the North Carolina maps. But I really would probably say that the North Carolina maps right now are the single biggest factor uh, making it harder for Democrats to get back control of the House next year. Interesting. Is abortion still going to be the top uh, issue as far as uh, the congressional races? We did a poll in Pennsylvania this week that uh, we asked people, you know, in general, would you vote for a Democrat or a Republican for the House? It was basically tied. Uh, and then we said, uh, in general, would you like a, a Democrat who's going to protect abortion rights or uh, a Republican who will make stand, uh, take steps towards banning abortion or at least making it a lot harder to get an abortion? It went from being tied to Democrats having a 20 point lead on that question, solely based on framing the issue around abortion. Obviously, that's not how things work in the real world. You can't just you know, frame two candidates' stance on one issue and then have a 20-point uh, impact in the results. But that really does just show uh, what a significant uh, benefit that this issue has been for Democrats in the last two years. And one thing that has been a really interesting development politically in the country over the course of 2023 so there's been about 30 special elections uh, for the state legislature in various districts all over the country that ultimately are, are sort of pretty representative of the of the diversity of America. And on average, in those districts that have had elections this year, Democrats are doing eight points better 
than Joe Biden did in those same districts in 2020. And most of those races that I'm talking about have been very, uh, very much fought over the issue of abortion. That's been a big uh, focus of the Democratic campaign in all those races. Democrats are overperforming across the board. uh, And that historically has had implications for the uh, elections the next year. And just one other thing sort of on that point to illustrate the potency of the abortion issue. We were just talking before the break about how Donald Trump won Ohio by eight points in 2020. That could make it hard for the Democratic senator there to get reelected next year. But they had a ballot uh, question in August that was basically a referendum on abortion. And the pro-choice side won out 57 to 43, even a state that Trump won by eight points. So you saw that sort of on the abortion issue specifically, the state voted 22 points to the left of how it voted in the presidential race in 2020. So it definitely is uh, an issue with major implications. Tom, while uh, public information about the country as a whole is important, basically the only thing that really matters is the polling results in the states that have enough electoral votes to elect a president. Has anybody just concentrated on those to see what the tally would be between Trump and and, uh, Biden? So we did polls last week in uh, Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin, which I would say along with Arizona, Nevada, Georgia, and North Carolina are likely to be the most competitive states in the election next year. Uh, And in Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin, Biden was up by three or four points in each of those states. And if he wins those three states, along with the more solidly blue states, that would get him to 270 electoral votes in and of itself, just those three. And he's holding up pretty well in them right now. He's doing a little bit better than he did uh, in 2020 in them. And those states uh, sort of showed the picture we were talking about a little bit earlier. Uh, Biden's not popular in them. His approval rating is generally around 40%. But his net favorability in those three states, even with a 40% approval rating, was on average about 10 points better than Trump's was. So it's basically, you know, if you if you had to write one sentence about where the race stands right now, it's, well, I guess this is two sentences, but Biden is popular. Trump is even less, I mean, excuse me, Biden is unpopular. Trump is even more unpopular. That's what we saw in those key states. Uh, and Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin are probably the most straightforward path uh, for Biden to victory in twenty in twenty twenty four, because those states don't have quite as many non white voters as North Carolina, Arizona, uh, Georgia, and Nevada do. One thing that's been a pretty clear trend in uh, Biden's polling this year uh, is that even though his popularity is down across the board compared to how he did in the twenty twenty election. He's fallen more with voters of color uh, than he has with white voters. He's holding up better with white voters, and he's doing a little weaker uh, than Democrats usually do with African-American and Hispanic voters. Uh, So Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania are all uh, at least about 80 percent white each, where uh, Nevada, Arizona, Georgia, North Carolina are considerably more diverse. So he may have a little bit of a harder time matching his 2020 standing in those more diverse states than he will in those Midwestern states that are a little heavier on the white population. So uh, if you combine those four states, how how does it look? 
if Trump won all of them, the final result would be 270 for Biden to 268 for Trump in the Electoral College. So uh, I think it would be better for the country if that didn't happen, because then you'd just start to have a lot of focus on whether, you know, one or two electors would not do what they were supposed to do, which is a thing that happens. I mean, it's it's usually not too many, but I feel like uh, most years there's there's maybe one elector who doesn't do what they're supposed to do. And uh, that could be enough to plunge the country into chaos in uh, 2020, so, I mean, 2024. So uh, I'll go ahead and say that whoever wins the election next year, it would probably just be better for the sake of America if they won at least uh, 280 electoral votes or something like that, rather than being right on that uh, line between uh, 270 and 268. Well, as we know, in North Carolina, we have more unaffiliated voters now than we have uh for either party. So uh, um, how are the unaffiliated voters looking at the presidential election? Well, the the sort of uh, common truth about unaffiliated voters is they tend to be unhappy with whoever's in charge, no matter who it is, uh, and thus tend to sort of lean a little bit towards the party that's out of power. Uh, And even though we do have kind of divided power in Washington, I still think people think of Democrats as being in charge because the White House is ultimately what drives that. So I think right now Republicans have a little bit of an advantage with uh, unaffiliated voters. But uh, I think one key thing is that they need to make sure they don't squander that advantage with unaffiliated voters by coming off as too extreme uh, or too incompetent in what they do over the course of the next 13 months. Uh, And there's certainly some uh, traps for them. Like I don't think everything that's happened in Washington this week is probably going to help Republicans very much with unaffiliated voters. Uh, so I, I, I do think that right now they have a little bit of an advantage, but uh, it's certainly not overwhelming uh, and it's not necessarily permanent. Uh, obviously, one thing we know about unaffiliated voters is that they're more open to changing their minds and going back and forth uh, than other voters are. So they're more likely to have some sort of reaction to how events unfold uh, than other voters. Now, there's been some conversation about a no labels uh, candidate. Uh, Is that uh, something that you've checked in polling? Uh, We have not actually ourselves polled on a no labels candidate, but uh, there has been a decent amount of polling by other companies about it. Uh, And what it shows across the board is that that is something that would hurt Biden more than Trump. Trump's voters are more committed to voting for him, no matter what their other choices might end up being, uh, than Biden voters are committed to voting for him, no matter what their other choices might end up being. So uh, I think Democrats would definitely prefer that there was not uh, a a no-labels candidate, or at least not a serious no-labels candidate in the race, because everything that we're talking about, the margins are very slim. It's not going to take much one way or the other uh, to flip this election into the Biden column or into the Trump column. Uh, so I definitely think that a strong no labels candidate uh, might actually just have the impact of of letting Trump win. What percentage of Republican voters could be impacted by a guilty vote or guilty uh, sentence uh, by Trump in any of the court cases that he has pending right now? I think there's almost no uh, chance of the court cases having any sort of negative impact on Uh, Trump with Republican voters. We've actually sort of seen uh, the opposite of that, that every time he gets indicted again, it just 
uh, unites uh, Republican voters around Trump even more than they were before. We've had some situations this year where we were polling races for various state level offices and that kind of thing and doing uh, daily tracking polling, sort of seeing how the races we were polling unfolded, but also checking on how people feel about Trump, how people feel about Biden, that sort of thing. Uh, and we found uh, generally when Trump gets indicted that his numbers with Republicans get even better than they had been before. Uh, and we've certainly seen, you know, this was kind of his summer of indictments uh, and his lead over the Republican primary field and our polling increased by 16 points uh, over the course of the summer. So it really doesn't seem to be causing him uh, any political troubles at all. If anything, it seems like it just causes Republican voters to unify around him. That's interesting. And uh, I mean, I've, I've observed not only your polling, but everybody else's says the same thing. It's kind of interesting. Uh, we're going to take a break. Our guest is Tom Jensen. He's the director of public policy polling. When we come back, we're going to look at the state of North Carolina and its uh, uh, slate of uh, uh, offices that will be up for uh, election in the coming year. And we'll talk about that right after we take time out for these messages. Okay, men, this is your time. Maybe you didn't choose this, but you're here now. You're going to go out there and be an all-star caregiver. It's up to you. So what are you going to do? You're going to go grocery shopping, cook, clean, be there emotionally and physically. You got to dig deeper. Drive them to physical therapy, doctor's appointments. Don't you forget about the pharmacy. I know you won't because that's what caregivers do. Don't give up. Don't ever give up. This is your time to show the world, your family and yourself that you're tougher than tough. Now go out there and be the best caregiver this world has ever seen. Caregiving is tougher than tough. Find the care guides you need at aarp.org slash caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Watch out! They got me! The galaxy is safe once again. In the pretend universe, kids play with pretend guns. In the real world, it's up to us to make sure they don't get their hands on a real gun. If you have a gun in the house, keep it locked, unloaded, and stored separately from ammunition. Safe gun storage saves lives. Learn how to make your home safer at nfamilyfire.org. That's nfamilyfire.org. Brought to you by N Family Fire, Brady, and the Ad Council. Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. Our guest this week, a frequent guest on our program many times, Tom Jensen, who's Director of Public Policy Polling. We have uh, been quite uh, intensive, uh, talking intensively about uh, the national situation, Biden versus Trump, the uh, impact of uh, voting out House Speaker Kevin McCarthy and uh, the abortion issue and some other things of that nature. Uh, but usually along the way, Tom, you do a little kind of fun polling from time to time. Before we get back to a more serious look at the North Carolina races, uh, have you done any fun polling recently that uh, you can tell us about? No. Uh, You've lost I'll your be... sense of humor. Well, I think the country's lost its sense of humor is is actually more what's happened. You know, it, it when... When we were not so divided and so nasty to each other, we could do funnier polls. And uh, I think as social media has gotten more toxic over the last 
uh, eight or nine years, you know, anytime that we uh, would do anything more lighthearted, we'd just have uh, people being nasty to us and stuff like that. And I aspire to live a low drama life. So uh, we increasingly just do the polls that we get paid to do and do not uh, do not incur that sort of wrath on ourselves unnecessarily. So sort of a sad commentary uh, on how the country has changed over the last decade, but we simply could not operate the way that we used to operate now uh, because everything's gotten so much more toxic. So I apologize. What about I sports? The, I miss you, those uh, days. Have, let's talk a little bit about sports. Have you done any polling on things like conference realignment and uh, the NIL and the uh, transfer portal? Have you done any polling on that sort of thing? Uh, we haven't polled on any of those things. I know that uh, what polling there is out there says that people don't like the transfer portal and don't like NIL and don't like conference realignment. But uh, I I think we have very much learned that things related to college sports are not a democracy. Uh, and certainly anything related to the NCAA is not a democracy. So uh, I, I don't think people like a lot of the changes that are occurring, but I I don't know that they have much to say about them. Well, let's turn now to the North Carolina outlook. Uh, of course, we, uh, uh, Governor Cooper has served his two terms. Uh, from time to time, I hear his name mentioned possibly as a candidate for a higher office. But uh, other than that, uh, he is, uh, of course, history as far as being governor of North Carolina after this term. Uh, and so the Republicans have uh, Mark Robinson being mentioned, or I actually is a candidate, Dale Falwell, Mark Walker, Jesse Thomas, Andy Wells are mentioned. On the Democratic side, you've got Josh Stein and now Michael Morgan. So let's uh, uh, ask you about uh, what polling you're doing on those races and uh, how do they those polls look? Uh, we definitely have overwhelming front runners in both of the primaries for governor. Uh, Josh Stein has a significant advantage on the Democratic side uh, for the nomination, and Mark Robinson uh, has a significant advantage on the Republican side for the nomination. It's sort of hard for me to imagine anything uh, that might happen to change that. Uh, and, you know, one thing that's sort of interesting in terms of the possibility of any of that changing is uh, the primary really is coming up pretty quickly for uh, our state offices in North Carolina uh, when we don't have a presidential election, our primaries uh, tend not to be until May, but I think we're headed for uh, primaries for all this stuff in March if the uh, current calendar holds. So uh, once we get to the end of the year, it's really going to be coming up pretty quick. Uh, and Stein and Robinson have both had substantial leads uh, in their primaries for quite a long time now with nothing really to uh, challenge their standing. So I'm pretty confident that that's going to be your your choices for governor. We have some uh, contesting coming up for state auditor. Uh, as uh, David Bullock has announced a candidacy. Uh, and, uh, of course, we have an incumbent that's been in for some time but had some bad press last year. Have you polled on that? Uh, we haven't done any polling on the state auditor's race, but that's been one of the very closest races in the state uh, in each of the last two elections with uh, Beth Wood both times winning by a, a pretty tight margin. And I'd expect that you're probably going to see something like uh, that again in 2024. I think it just speaks to our, our general uh, 
place in North Carolina as being one of the most competitive states in the country. Uh, and what that means is that most of our statewide races are going to be really competitive. So uh, I, I honestly don't know how much the uh, scandal is going to hurt Beth Wood because I just don't think that voters pay that much attention to uh, the state auditor. Uh, so I think just since we're accustomed to close races, we will likely have another one. Again, North Carolina has uh, an increasingly higher number of unaffiliated voters each election. Is that changing anything? And also, uh, while you're talking about that, what about the Hispanic vote, which has not been a real factor in the past? Is, when will that become a factor? Uh, it's definitely at a point where the Hispanic vote is creeping up to being like three or four percent of the electorate. So uh, it's constantly on the move. But I, I still think it's going to probably be another decade before it's a really uh, substantial portion of the electorate. But certainly uh, that doesn't mean that the Hispanic electorate isn't important uh, because we've sort of seen a trend nationally uh, in the Trump years where uh, Democrats went from winning maybe. 70, 75 percent of the Hispanic vote in most states uh, when Obama was president to winning more like 60 percent of the Hispanic vote uh, in the time since Trump and Biden became president. And given how incredibly close North Carolina has been uh, in elections for things like governor and Senate and president over the last decade, even though the Hispanic percentage of the electorate isn't huge, the difference between Democrats winning 60 percent of it and 70 percent of it uh, really could end up being a, a, a sort of tiebreaker for what happens in statewide races. So uh, it is definitely important and becoming more important by the year. Well, anytime where races are down to 50-50 or 51-49, 1% becomes very important. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, especially if it's switching from one side to the other. Uh, if it's just new vote. And there is a difference between additional vote and change vote where someone changes, because if you change, if it's 50-50, it becomes 51-49. But if you just add a vote, it becomes 51-50. Yeah. Uh, so um, that's, I guess that has to do with get out and vote. Uh, and uh, which party do you think will be in the best shape to increase their vote count this year? Well, uh that's that's sort of an interesting question, because definitely the answer to who has been doing a better job of getting their people out to vote is the Republicans. Uh, in 2020, 81 percent of Republicans and only 75 percent of Democrats turned out to vote. Uh, and Trump won the state by one point. Tom Tillis got reelected by about one point. If Democrats had turned out at the same rate as Republicans, Democrats would have won both of those races in 2020. And I think that the turnout gap between Republicans and Democrats in 2022 was even larger. Almost all of the legislative seats that Democrats lost in 2022 uh, were pretty much in rural uh, districts with a lot of African-American voters where there just wasn't very strong African-American turnout. Uh, and when we look at all of the things Republicans in the legislature have been able to do uh, this session, because there's not enough Democrats there to sustain the governor's vetoes. A lot of that just comes down to Democrats not turning out at a high enough rate in last year's election. Uh, so definitely the answer to who has had the turnout advantage is Republicans. I guess a big question for North Carolina in 2024 is whether Democrats can sort of offset some of that advantage that Republicans have had. Democrats do have more room to grow 
uh, in terms of who votes and who doesn't. Uh, and I think that we are very possibly looking at another set of races quite similar to 2020, where you're going to be looking at a 50-50 race for president, a 50-50 race for governor, probably 50-50 races for a lot of the statewide offices. Uh, and Democrats uh, would definitely give themselves a better chance of ending up on the right side of the 51 to 49 coin uh, in next year's election if they could uh, close the gap in terms of who uh, is turning out. Basically, every election for the last decade in North Carolina has been 51-49 one way or the other. Generally speaking, the Republicans are winning those 51-49 elections. And the difference between Republicans winning 51-49 and Democrats winning 51-49 has been Republicans doing a better job of getting their people out to vote. We talked earlier about uh, abortion being a major issue, especially in some of the states that you've polled so far. How important is that issue in North Carolina? Is it any different from the other states? No, I think that it has the same uh, possibility here to be really salient as other places, especially because the uh, General Assembly has passed new laws that have uh, made it harder to get an abortion in North Carolina. Uh, I think that that's definitely something that you're going to see Democratic uh, candidates talking about a lot, especially in uh, competitive parts of the state uh, over the next year. And that actually speaks to sort of an interesting dynamic that occurred in last year's elections is that uh, Democrats actually, for the most part, ended up holding up better than you would expect them to do in a midterm election. The places where Democrats didn't do very well were super blue states like uh, New York and California, because there wasn't any threat to abortion laws in those states. And that wasn't uh, something that could really be used as a motivating factor for voters in those states the way it has in a lot of other places. Because Republicans in the General Assembly here have decided to pass stricter abortion laws, even in this political climate that's very concerned about abortion rights and very much uh, showing backlash against anybody who uh, sort of endangers abortion rights. I think that very much uh, has left the, the issue on the table as something that Democrats might be able to use effectively in the course of their 2024 campaigns in the state. So what are the other issues that will be important in the North Carolina races? Crime, of course, is always uh, an issue. Yeah, I think we're going to see a lot about education um, in this next election. Uh, Republicans passed some stuff related to uh, vouchers and school choice that's pretty broadly unpopular. So I think you'll see uh, Democrats talking about those sorts of issues uh, a good bit in the next year. So I expect to see that uh, as, as sort of a point of emphasis. Um, and then I, I think uh, something else that is, is sort of worth looking out for is uh, sometimes we have issues related to uh, transportation and traffic that sometimes are very local in nature, but can have a major statewide impact. For instance, uh, Pat McCrory blames his 2016 defeat in part on uh, people being mad about tolls on the on I-77 down in Charlotte. So it'll be interesting to see if any of those sorts of more hyper-local issues uh, pop up as things that have a big impact in the statewide campaign. Uh, and then the other thing that you've seen uh, sort of as big issues this year sort of creeping up that I would say in some ways haven't touched North Carolina as much as other places, but I think you'll still see them talked about a lot. Uh, immigration is sort of moving back up the list of things that uh, people are interested in as the migrant crisis plays out across the country. 
Uh, and then obviously with the continued proliferation of mass shootings, um, I think that uh, gun laws and, and issues related to that could play a big role next year as well. Well, you know, obviously people are very concerned about guns and gun control and and, uh, and crime because it uh, those mass shootings are certainly uh, get front page news coverage and are very tragic in most cases and probably unnecessary. The problem is the number of guns that are already out there. <laughs> I'm not, you know, uh, controlling guns in the future is going to help a little bit, but it's uh, there's enough guns out there now that we will be dealing with guns forever one way or the other. Uh, the immigration situation in North Carolina is such that uh, with the migrant farm workers, we actually uh, have a more sympathy, I would think, in North Carolina for migrant farm workers than most states would have. Our guest is Tom Jensen. He's the Director of Public Policy Polling. We have one final segment coming up, and we'll do that right after we take time out for these messages. As an 18-year-old, I let my mistakes kind of take over my life. I was 0.5 credits away from completing high school, and I didn't do it. Ten years later, at age 28, Jackie finished her high school diploma. When I found out that I was pregnant, I know that I had to do something for myself if I wanted to make her a better person and provide a better life for her. My family never stopped pushing for me to be better because they knew what I could become and who I could become as a person. My support team is amazing. The educational director, my sister, and even my seven-year-old daughter has just been more than the support that I could ask for. But I've been given an opportunity, and I'm just thankful for it. No one gets a diploma alone. If you're thinking of finishing your high school diploma, you have help. Find free adult education classes near you at finishyourdiploma.org. That's finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by the Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. Adopt US Kids presents What to Expect When You're Expecting A Teenager Learning the Lingo. GOAT, G O A T, acronym, stands for greatest of all time. As in spaghetti sandwiches for dinner? They're my fave. Dad, you're the GOAT. You don't have to speak teen to be a perfect parent. Thousands of teens in foster care will love you just the same. Visit AdoptUSKids.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt US Kids, and the Ad Council. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers with Tom Jensen, and we have had a very interesting program as Tom, of course, does polling not only here in North Carolina, but all across the country. Uh, in the first segment, we talked a lot about the presidential uh, campaign going on between President Biden and uh, former President Trump, and uh, we talked about uh, the impact of uh, voting out House Speaker Kevin McCarthy. We talked about uh, the impact maybe on the congressional level of some redistricting in the segment two. So if you miss those segments and you're interested, you might want to go back to carolinanewsmakers.com and listen to the entire broadcast or share it with a friend. Uh, that's carolinanewsmakers.com. Tom, we want to turn uh, just a minute here and talk a little bit generally about news and news coverage. One of the things that bothers me with the day and age where we no longer have the daily newspaper is where are people getting their news and how confident are they in the news sources that are out there? Well, one thing that is kind of interesting is that as much as we think of it as a dying medium, uh, people do get more of their political information 
from local TV news than any other source. That's still the case uh, even now. It's probably not the case to the extent that it was uh, a, a few decades ago. But when we ask people in the course of doing political polling where they're getting their most information from, uh, that is still the answer is that it's from uh, TV news. Um, but uh, generally, I think where we're seeing huge increases is that people are definitely getting more and more of their news from the internet. Uh, and maybe the, the more disturbing trend is that more and more people are getting their news from social media. And I think those trends are definitely contributing to the divisions in the country uh, because let's say that people uh, listen to WPTF to get their news. They're going to hear a pretty down the middle uh, account of things that's fair to both sides. But if people are instead getting their news from somewhere like social media, uh, it's often very skewed to the left, very skewed to the right. People are just receiving information in a way that sort of reinforces their existing beliefs. And that contributes to us having so much more division in the country uh, is if we're not we're not even getting the facts and we can't even agree on what the facts are. Uh, so I think that that has been an unhealthy trend for sure. The term artificial intelligence uh, scares me. Uh, what do you see and how do you feel like artificial intelligence could affect the way people get their news? Well, it's already leading to people believing things that aren't true. Uh, it, it seems like this is particularly an issue with uh, crazy pictures of the outer banks over the course of uh, this year. I'm, I'm always seeing these crazy pictures of things that happened on the outer banks that didn't really happen. And they're just spreading like wildfire uh, that people have altered these images and used artificial intelligence to uh, you know, create these things. And then people just sort of accept it at face value. So we've already you know, had these problems with truthfulness and that sort of thing. And I think you are gonna have uh, just an increase of more and more stuff that's flat out made up, but made up in a professional looking manner that lends it credibility and makes people believe that it's real. So I think that this mis misinformation problem is just gonna really be uh, even further exasperated by uh, artificial intelligence in the, in the years to come. Do you see government getting involved in trying to control uh, this type of, of uh, I mean, this really is fake news. You hear a lot about fake news, but this really is fake news. I mean, everybody would have to agree it's fake. Yeah, and I think that people's um, guards have gotten down if it's something that uh, makes them happy. You know, people are willing to be sort of credulous about stuff if it sort of reinforces their existing worldview rather than approaching it with the kind of skepticism that they probably ought to. Uh, and then certainly uh, I think that people sort of like to believe wild things. So they sometimes don't uh, approach that with the sort of filter of figuring out, is this really legitimate that they uh, probably should? So uh I wish I had optimism for the trajectory that we were heading on related to those sorts of issues, but uh, I think it is just going to continue to get worse and worse. On a, a statewide basis, the people that serve in the General Assembly, of course, are very close to their electorate because they have very small districts and are usually pretty well known. Um, we talked earlier about how important the abortion issue is to most people, including people in North Carolina. But what happens when you have a very popular state senator or state uh, representative that's well known in an area 
and he takes a position on abortion that's uh, opposed to what that uh, voter might feel like. On what side do they come down on? Do they stick with the tried and tested on all the other issues that uh, they've known and liked about this individual, or are they swayed by his position on or her position on abortion? So there actually pretty much is no such thing as a popular local elected official these days when it comes to state legislators and that sort of thing. That is something we saw a lot more in our polling in a previous generation than now. Pretty much any state legislator that we poll on now uh, will find that a majority of voters in their district don't have any opinion about them one way or the other. Uh, I, I genuinely consider like 40% to be a good approval rating for a state senator or a state house member, because it usually comes out more like 25 to 25 with 50% of people saying they have no opinion about them one way or the other. And I think that trend is very much a focus of things changing in the media too. Uh, People used to read their daily newspaper and listen to their local radio station and that sort of thing. And they had a high level of knowledge about who their uh, officials were at the local level. And because of that, people, as you noted, used to be able to build personal brands that held up even if the district was in a a totally different sort of place. You could have districts that uh, voted incredibly Republican at the presidential level, but would keep a Democratic legislator around if they uh, thought that they were a reasonable person and vice versa. And now what we see is that legislative results very rarely veer very far away from how people are voting for president in those exact same districts. If let's say Joe Biden won a legislative district by two points, you're almost definitely going to see the legislative race fall somewhere between the Democrat winning by five or six points or the Republican winning by two or three points. He used to have situations like with uh, David Hoyle in Gaston County, uh, where he could win 70 percent of the vote and George W. Bush could win 70 percent of the vote at the exact same time. You could see the same set of voters voting 80 points different for two races on the same ballot. Uh, And now you have a situation where it's very, very unusual to see more than about six or seven points of separation. So uh, that's a roundabout way to to get to your question, which is that uh, there's really just not a lot of people uh, being able to take unpopular positions or be in an unpopular party in their district and still uh, get through based on their personal popularity, because the days of local legislators having very much personal popularity are pretty much gone, I think, partially because of polarization and national politics sort of taking over everything, and partially because people just aren't getting enough local news to sort of develop that kind of relationship with their officials at the local level. Yeah, because we mentioned the the death of the daily newspaper. In many cases, the community newspapers are uh, subject to having a very small staff and they just don't cover as much news as they formerly covered and their circulation is not as strong. Yeah, it's definitely just a, a shadow of what it once was. And I think it's had a, a lot of implications uh, that have sort of spread throughout society and politics in particular. So uh, what do you see as a solution to getting the public better informed so they can make better decisions? Uh, to be very honest, I I am not very optimistic that there are solutions. Um, you know, I'd like to say that uh, there's some way that we could get people interested in 
in, in paying attention to stuff at a higher level of depth and in a more uh, impartial way uh, than they do now and in a way that's more akin to what we would have seen in uh, past years. But certainly uh, in the 16 years that I've been doing this job, the trends on those sorts of things have gone all in uh, one direction. Um, so uh, I, I hate to be downcast, but I'm I'm not very uh, uh, upbeat about the, the future of our democracy and voters' level of information and uh, all that sort of thing. I think that we're trending in a really poor direction, and uh, I, I sort of anticipate that we're just going to continue trending further in a very poor direction, and I'll be quite happy if I end up being wrong about that. Well, unfortunately, I think more people would have to agree with your position on that than would disagree because all the facts are lined up. But, uh, of course, things can change and hopefully will change. So you've got about uh, two minutes to sort of wrap up everything we talked about in the first segment about uh, the Trump versus uh, Biden, not only nationally, but in North Carolina and the governor's race. So give us a very quick update on what you've already said. Say it again. <laughs> I think the bottom line, both for the presidential race nationally and for the key races in North Carolina, is that we're just headed into an extremely competitive year politically in 2024. Uh, I expect that uh, the presidential race is really going to end up in a very similar place to where it was in 2020. And even though Joe Biden won the popular vote by a decent amount in 2020 and ended up winning the Electoral College by a decent amount in 2020, most of the key states were extremely close. Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Georgia, Arizona were all decided by about a point, as was North Carolina. Uh, Biden's landslides in the swing states were two-point win in Nevada, three-point win in Michigan. So I expect all of those key states to be very close again. So even though I'm pretty confident that Biden will win the popular vote uh, again, as he did in 2020, it would not take much to push all those key swing states that he won by one point into one point wins for Trump this time around. So I think it's going to be very close. Uh, and certainly North Carolina is going to be an important part of that closeness. Uh, I expect North Carolina to once again be one of the closest states in the country, just as it was, as it was in 2008, just as it was in 2012. Three out of the last four election cycles, North Carolina's presidential race has been decided by about a point. I expect something similar to that in 2024. And I think that we can expect that same sort of closeness, certainly in our uh, most important statewide race for governor, which is likely to be between uh, Democrat Josh Stein and Republican Mark Robinson, both of whom have large leads in their primaries. Uh, I think that one's probably going to come right down to the wire. Uh, and then we obviously have important elections for things like lieutenant governor, uh, state treasurer, state auditor, state superintendent, et cetera. I expect all those to be close as well. And then one final big implication of North Carolina and national politics, uh, the redistricting of our U.S. House districts is likely to give Republicans a big advantage that could help them keep their overall advantage in the U.S. House for the whole country. Tom, great recap. Tom Jensen, Director of Public Policy Polling, has been our guest. And we, as always, appreciate your comments and candor. This program has been produced by Jason Kong, and he promises to have another good, good guest for us next week on this same group of stations all across North Carolina. If you'd like more information, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Till next week, have a good week, everybody. 
Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.